Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a, a passage that's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But I'd like to begin elsewhere. The, the focus in that passage from Paul to Timothy is a command where, where Paul commands Timothy, in fact, to continue to continue in what he learned and what he has firmly believed. And so as we think of the context here, it would be helpful to to identify something that we know from the Scriptures, in fact, even about Timothy. So Timothy has learned and has firmly believed, and we're mindful that that Paul has this relationship, this this discipleship relationship where he's this spiritual father in the faith for, for Timothy. So Paul means so much to Timothy, and so here this instruction to him is important. But let's go ahead and, and move back a little earlier to just kind of walk through a little bit of a background on Timothy before we look at this command that Paul even gives to his disciple. Turn to Acts chapter 16. This is where we're first introduced to Timothy. This would be a helpful place to, to start as we look at his background, I'll just read these first three verses and make a few brief comments. But in Acts chapter 16, we see that Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. Let me go ahead and just point out, I guess this would be helpful too. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Uh, so again, verse 1, it says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So even just from this text alone, we've already learned much about Timothy. We see where he's from. He was from Lystra. Um, we'll learn more about another member of his family in another text, but here we're, we're mindful that he has a believing mother. He has a mother, Eunice, and grandmother, Lois, that we'll read about. They were Jewish women who, who believed God, who trusted in God. Timothy's father was, was not a believer. He was a, a pagan Greek. And here in this text, we see that, that Timothy, this disciple, this follower of Christ, already has a lot of respect from the other members of the church. He's thought highly of by the brothers, well spoken of, is what verse 2 tells us. So he's a mature Christian, godly man, well spoken of by other believers. Uh, So much so that Paul desires to take him with him on this next missionary journey. And so Timothy is going to be this faithful co-worker alongside Paul, He's going to accompany him on several missionary journeys. And so this this discipleship relationship between Paul and Timothy we see begin here in chapter 16. Uh, Later, Paul's going to even refer multiple times to Timothy as his son in the faith. So as you continue through the New Testament, Timothy is not a stranger. You read about him much throughout Acts, but you see him throughout Paul's epistles, and you see him in another letter as well. And in all of this gospel ministry activity that is going on in letters to the churches, uh, you're even mindful that Timothy ministers to many churches. Uh, He's involved in ministry in at least five. Let me just read a couple passages. I wouldn't say turn to these. Just listen carefully, though. Uh, Timothy ministered in, in Thessalonica. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we read, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Paul speaking here. Left alone at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. So Paul's explaining to to the Thessalonians why he's sending Timothy to them. His role, Timothy's task, is to establish and exhort the believers in their faith. So he ministered in Thessalonica. He ministered in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We read uh, Paul explaining why he sent Timothy. This is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. 
So Timothy is to remind them of the ways in Christ, to, to, to complement, to, to uh, continue to teach what Paul was teaching to the Corinthians. Timothy would teach the things that Paul continues to teach everywhere in the church. So he ministered in Thessalonica, Corinth, Philippi as well. Philippians 2 speaks of Timothy. 19 and 20, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So Timothy has this love for the brethren, a genuine concern for the brethren. And Paul is convinced that Timothy's ministry amongst the Philippians will be of great encouragement to them, and it will encourage Paul to then hear a report of how the Philippians are doing. He ministered in Berea as well. In Acts chapter 17, as as Paul goes there, uh, we read, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So you have hostility towards this gospel ministry that Paul has conducted in Berea. And then he says, Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. So Timothy, even uh, sometimes I think we assume that, that he was this very timid lack of bravery type of guy because of some of the instruction that Paul would give Timothy. But here you're seeing this courage. Timothy is being left in a hostile territory. Paul's leaving. Timothy remains to minister amongst the Christians in Berea. And then, of course, we know as well that that Timothy ministered in Ephesus. In fact, this letter, 2 Timothy, uh, is Paul, Paul's writing in chains, imprisoned, and he's writing to Timothy as he is ministering amongst the Ephesians. So, so these churches that Timothy had uh, all sorts of ministry amongst, he, he remained busy in his evangelistic work. So it's likely that Timothy came to Christ through the ministry of Paul. In fact, the scripture reading this morning was in Acts chapter 14. You didn't read anything of Timothy there, but you did read of Lystra. And so as Ben was reading, uh, that, that event that we were reading about just took place after Paul had performed a miracle amongst the people. He had healed a lame man. And in healing, the response was a desire to worship Paul. So they wanted to raise him up as this God to be praised. Uh, well, Paul refuses such worship And the mood quickly switches, as you read in Acts 14. The mood switched quickly. They decide that they want to stone him. And as soon as he was being stoned by the people, um, they they thought he was dead. Uh, We read about that. And and here's the deal. The disciples, we read about, they come and minister to Paul. And in fact, we do well, if you're already in Acts 16, just turn back to chapter 14 to look at that statement. Verse 20, when the disciples gathered about him, this is after he was presumed dead, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Well, what's wild, if you caught it, he's stoned in Lystra, he leaves Lystra, And then you read in just two verses later, he returns to Lystra. And what was the reason for returning to the place that stoned him so badly that they thought they had killed him? He was presumed dead. And in verse 22 of Acts 14, it says, he returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Why this is all significant, I believe there's very good reason to read in, there in Acts 14 that, that Timothy would be amongst these disciples that are being ministered to by Paul, being encouraged to continue in the faith. I mean, as you are introduced to his actual name in chapter 16, you see he's from Lystra and he is this mature believer. And then all of this language that is peppered throughout Paul's letters of his true son in the faith gives you every indication that, that Paul led Timothy to the Lord. And so that 
would likely be in that setting of Acts 14 where he was, in fact, stoned. So uh, this, sum- this summary even of instruction that Paul gives in Acts 14 actually sounds awfully similar to the command that we'll read about in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So Timothy indeed is this very dear disciple of Paul, and so too Paul is very dear to Timothy, and the, the setting of this second letter as Paul is writing to him, Timothy, uh, well Paul is imprisoned, Paul is mindful of his imminent death, and false teachers abound around Timothy. Persecution is increasing, and Paul is writing, rather than letting all of this discourage Timothy, the command is to not be discouraged, but to press on, to continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Paul commands him to continue. Let's read about it. Everybody turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 10 through 15. Uh, likely, we'll, we'll bounce around to a few verses in front and behind this text. And then we certainly are going to go other places in the scripture. But, but our home base will be 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll go ahead and read 10 through 15, and then we'll walk through this text together. Paul writes, verse 10, You, however, by the way, I'll pause real quick. He's... He, Verses 1 through 9, there was just this description of these false teachers, these ungodly men, these wicked men, lovers of self, lovers of money, etc. And so he's he's contrasting these these, uh, wicked men with what he's about to say in verse 10. So verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is calling Timothy to imitate his faith. This is not strange, new, different instruction. Paul, as an apostle, has been very comfortable calling the church to imitate him. Uh, Even in Corinthians, you read, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so here you're seeing this, this call that Timothy had to imitate Paul's faith. And in fact, as you read the language here of, of Paul, Um, of Timothy following Paul. You're seeing he was, in fact, imitating Paul's faith, imitating Paul's character. And so he says, you have followed, and he lists nine different characteristics. Uh, There's a few events um, listed, but experiences listed, but, but there's nine things that are listed here that Timothy is well acquainted with, and he is certainly not only acquainted with it, but he's capable of imitating Paul in these nine ways, and in fact, he's faithful in imitating Paul in these nine ways, and so Paul is calling him to excel still more, to continue in these things. And so the first one that is listed, you see here, is teaching. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching. You know, follow, that's such an important word. We use it all the time. There's many in this room today, I would imagine, that are relatively active on social media. Uh, If you even think of what takes place when you're on one of those platforms, if you, you come across something, you can just by the click of a button, click follow, and now you follow someone, right? Then if they say something that's annoying, something you disagree with, something that just bothers you, with the same click of a button, you can unfollow someone. Well, realize that this is nothing like that. As you're reading, that, that 
Timothy follows Paul. Nothing like that trivial sort of following and unfollowing. This word that is used here to follow Paul in his teaching is more than just being familiar with teaching. His following is that of a close relationship that a teacher would have with a student. It speaks of being closely acquainted. In fact, it's very much connected to even the word that that Luke would use in the, the careful study that he would examine, the close attention he gave to the life and ministry of Christ as he wrote the gospel of Luke. So as, as Timothy is calling Paul to follow, he's speaking of being closely acquainted with and like-minded with and engaged in Paul's teaching. So Timothy had followed Paul's teaching. Turn back just a page, look at chapter two, verse one. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men. So Timothy's familiar with Paul's teaching, uh, and he is to entrust that teaching to other men, faithful men who will then teach others. And so he had followed Paul's teaching. Even 2 verse 8 speaks again, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So if Timothy was to remember the teaching of Paul, to follow the teaching of Paul, verse 8 would remind you of what Paul proclaimed about Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, the gospel that Paul would proclaim. Timothy is to follow that teaching. He's also supposed to follow Paul's conduct. Now, I already kind of mentioned there's nine things listed here. I'm not going to be able to spend too much time. There's nine, so it would take us a while, and I think we'd might drift a little bit here. So I'm going to be pretty brief with most of these and, and some of them because they're just too painful to think about. But, um, but one of these, he begins with teaching. The next he talks about his conduct. You know, as I said, he already said, imitate me as I follow Christ. Paul has told Timothy to keep a close watch on his life and on his doctrine. That's in his letter to Timothy. Uh, he, he says, watch your doctrine carefully, watch your life carefully, because everything we do teaches something. Pastor Rod says that to us so often that everything we do teaches. And so our teaching certainly teaches, but our conduct teaches as well. Do as I say, not as I do, falls flat on, on listening ears, right? We, we need to model our conduct ought to match up, our life ought to match up, with our teaching. And so Paul is telling Timothy, you followed in my teaching, you followed my conduct. He says, you followed my aim in life. That's still in verse 10 of 2 Timothy 3. Verse 10, follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. I mean, how would you summarize Paul's aim in life? As Timothy would step back and just think upon the life and ministry of Paul and all that he observed in what Paul said and in what Paul did and what mattered most to Paul. What would Timothy identify as his aim in life? I think one, one summary you could look to would be uh, that he professed to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Paul's aim in life was to make much of Christ. And Timothy is called to model in that aim in life. He speaks of faith, of patience, of love, to follow in those ways. This is a call to faithfulness in ministry. Paul was faithful. Timothy is to be faithful. My faith, my patience. Paul, as much as he was this proclaimer of truth and defender of the faith, he indeed was patient with those that he ministered to. And so he's calling Timothy to patience with people, patience with those you minister to. Paul was also an example of love, and Timothy is to follow in that love. Think of Paul's love for the lost when you read of statements like this. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul's love for the lost was burdened to see them come to Christ, and so his heart's desire and prayer was to see uh, his heritage, to see other Jews turn to Christ, to see the lost saved. Think of Paul's love for the church in a statement like this. Uh, Well, I guess I should even say, 
in, in 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to read it in a minute, he lists all of these difficult persecutions and trials that he had to face. And then the last thing he lists after all these persecutions and trials, he says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So Paul's concern for love for the church was one issue that would keep him up at night burdened for them, out of love for them. He loved the church, and that's why he ministered to them. And so Timothy is to follow in this teaching, conduct, aim in life, faith, patience, love. Then he lists steadfastness. This is different from patience. You know, he's steadfast. He was patient in the midst of very difficult circumstances. If patience would be, you know, directed towards other people, I think the steadfastness that is mentioned here would be a patience amidst adverse circumstances. So we're going to read about adverse circumstances even in, in what takes place in this specific instruction, but elsewhere in the scriptures. But just think about it for a second. What do you think Timothy learned, I mean, about Paul's aim in life, but about his steadfastness, if he's one of these eyewitnesses in Lystra, chapter 14, what, what we read earlier, if Timothy's there and this man preaches the gospel and is stoned for it and presumed dead, and then he walks through the city, I mean, it had to be something miraculous that God did in, in Paul being able just to get up, walk through the city, and then leave, and then come back to Lystra and minister to the saints. I mean, you're just seeing the steadfastness, whatever the cost, Paul was going to minister to those who God had called him to minister to. So I think his steadfastness is on display, even as an eyewitness for Timothy, of if he was there in what we read about in, first, in um, Acts 14. Turn, though, to 2 Corinthians, because this is one of those summary verses where, where Paul, not in some braggadocious way, but, but Paul does speak to a variety of adverse circumstances that he endured in a steadfast way. Um, persecution that he endured for his faith. So in 2 Corinthians 11, he describes, I'll start halfway through or partway through verse 23. He starts speaking of imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from, from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Steadfastness in the midst of adverse circumstances. And, and Paul is saying, what, what I endured is what you are called to. You, you are to model after me. Follow me in my steadfastness. Let's go ahead and continue. Uh, go back over to verse 11 now of, of 2 Timothy 3. After in a general way, referring to steadfastness, he gets specific. In verse 11, he says, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Well, we read about one of these. I already told you about Lystra. But if you were to go back to the chapter before, we won't. But just what takes place there in chapter 13, he's in Antioch. He goes there. He has opposition. There's some who receive him. There's some who reject him. And this persecution that takes place in Antioch drives him out of the city. So he leaves Antioch. It drives Paul and Barnabas out. And they move on to Iconium. Same thing. Paul ministers there. Some respond rightly. Others reject him. And there ends up being this plan um, to drive him out, uh, to, to persecute him. And, and so he, he leaves Iconium. This divided response forces him out of Iconium. And that's where he ends up going to Lystra. And so I think, as you read in 2 Timothy 3, when, when, when Paul 
refers to these three cities specifically, that to me kind of speaks to why Timothy would be very familiar with this. He, he speaks of a specific event that, that I think Timothy was, if not an eyewitness of, certainly hearing from his mother and his grandmother of these events that unfolded in these cities when Paul indeed came to Lystra. And, and it just makes so much sense to see that Paul would have led Timothy to the Lord. So I, I just see him as an eyewitness in those events. And so as he says in verse 13, my persecutions, no, verse 11, I'm sorry, of 2 Timothy 3, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me, which persecutions I endured. And then he says, yet, from them all, the Lord rescued me. Paul was certain of his call to suffer. Paul was certain that persecution awaited him. And Paul was also certain that God would protect him. In the midst of suffering, God would preserve and protect him. And I just wonder, do you find yourself curious here? If we've read about him being stoned, if we read about him going into a city and then being forced out, other times going into a city and leaving out of necessity, and here where he says, the Lord rescued me, if we step back and wonder, in what sense did the Lord rescue me? Well, we'll turn the page over to 2 Timothy 4.18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So I think in Paul's eternal perspective, he's mindful that the Lord will preserve him, the Lord will rescue him, the Lord will protect him, whatever God allows, because God's in control and God is going to use this to, to um, save others and to um, be an encouragement to Timothy. To suffer for the name of Christ would be an encouragement to Paul and to Timothy. And so Paul's saying, in all of these persecutions, the Lord... Uh, delivered me, rescued me. Um, that's, that's really, that's key for us to think through. What, what is our perspective on persecution? Like, it, is it something that, that ought to be viewed as a failure if someone is persecuted, or, or do we see it as victory? I mean, I think it's key that um, Paul's recognizing the way that I endured persecution rightly was by not compromising the faith. So we're not talking about some sort of, of loss here to have to leave a city and to be persecuted for it. Paul's recognizing the Lord rescued me. The rescue is in Paul not compromising the faith. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, I need to definitely be careful with our time here, but, but this, is, this is a very important verse because persecution is a re reality for us as Christians. We're, we're, we're promised it. We're told we, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Paul's testimony is one of many persecutions, and he's telling Timothy, the same's gonna happen to you and the same is going to happen to all who desire to live a godly life. This is the testimony of Scripture. It's not just here in this passage. I mean, Jesus taught it. Let me just read from Luke 21. Jesus said the following, They will lay their hands on you. They'll persecute you. You will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. Some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake. Elsewhere, you go in the Gospels to read of Jesus teaching of this reality of all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Jesus taught it, so too did Paul. You see it there in 2 Timothy 3 and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes elsewhere that those who are children of God, those who are heirs of God, those who are heirs of Christ are those who will suffer with him in order that they will be glorified with him. Philippians 1 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. This is a reality because the scripture proclaims it. It's also evidenced throughout church history. And early on in the early church, the Roman Empire, even when we think of their view of Christianity during the early church, their view was that of 
a depraved people. They looked at Christians as depraved and superstitious. So even Christians would have been accused of such depravity as this. They would accuse Christians of being atheists. As ironic as that sounds, think of what was going on there. If, if, if Christians would deny this, this polytheism to reject these false gods and to worship as monotheists the one true God, they were viewed as atheists because they did not believe in these false gods. So Christians were accused of being atheists. Christians were accused of being cannibals. I mean, that was this, this weird slander that would go on with a misunderstanding of what would take place at the Lord's Supper. You know, so these, these rumors and slanderous accounts of how Christians would eat the flesh and drink the blood of, of, of humans, that's, that's not what Christians did. And so Christians were accused of being atheists. They were accused of being cannibals. They were accused of committing incest. Another slanderous account, of if you refer to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and you speak of your love that you have for the brethren, your love that you have for one another, and they would twist those things to, to view Christians as atheistic, cannibalistic, and incestual. So, so they viewed, viewed Christians as depraved and, that, and they would persecute them for it. And so as you walk through a variety of accounts in the early church, you see Christians persecuted on a variety of levels, whether they were just like rejected from public office or whether their gatherings were deemed illegal or whether their buildings were destroyed or their scriptures were taken away or as, as Jesus even promised, many were killed. They were put to death. And so there's an interesting dynamic that takes place in the early church uh, of those who were persecuted. You would have some who, who continued in the faith and others who would abandon the faith. And so persecution produced a purity of the church and a growth of the church. So Tertullian would even, even famously write the following. Speaking of Christian persecution, he says, nor does your cruelty, however exquisite, get you anything. The more often we are mowed down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. And so Tertullian recognized that persecution would only strengthen the church. It would purify the church as it weeded out those who professed but by their deeds denied Christ, but it, it strengthened the church by those who followed Christ, continued in the faith in the midst of persecution. So this, this intense season of persecution just is what would characterize so much of church history. It would ebb and flow. There certainly would be seasons of more strengthened persecution and, and seasons that would not be as difficult for Christians publicly. Um, I thought I'd read a little bit about one in particular, but I just looked at the clock. But there are specific examples that we could read that would give us great encouragement to see genuine believers who would face death and in the midst of death gladly receive what the Lord has allowed, seeking to glorify God. Because this is no surprise to a Christian that all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. And so just as much as it would be an encouragement to read a testimony of someone like Thomas Cranmer, I could even just look out in the room and even tell you there's encouragement that, that we find as believers when we hear of others in our church. As, as it gets more and more difficult to live the Christian life, even here in Tallahassee, we have experiences of hostility, opposition, persecution even of the faith. And so when we hear of other believers who are being persecuted, it strengthens our faith. Even for me personally, just think of, I know of events in here where, where individuals who, have, if, even if it sounds inconsequential when you start talking about someone who is killed for their faith, but I'm mindful of those who have lost income because of their faith, who have lost friendships because of their faith, who have, have, have had to make very difficult decisions and faced persecution because of their faith. And so persecution is to be expected. And if you're like me, I think I always have had just tried to not ignore that reality, but just not dwell on that reality as much. And, and it's becoming more and more of a reality for us. And we need to be mindful. We're going to be persecuted for our faith and, and, and continue in the faith in the midst of it to God's glory for our good and, and for the good of the church. So, all who seek to live a godly life, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
Here's the reality. It's not going to lighten up until um, Christ returns. Look at verse 14. But as for you, no, 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 verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, for the believer, you know, there's progress in the faith. We are growing to be more like Christ. We're growing in godliness. Well, the progress report for the wicked is increased wickedness. They're going to increase and abound in wickedness. They're going to go on from bad to worse. They deceive people. And then in that deceiving of others, they deceive themselves. And so there's this two-sided reality of this deception. They deceive others, and then they, in fact, are deceived as well. And so this is the setting that this command falls in here in 2 Timothy 3. There's a whole lot to be tempted to be discouraged by. Paul's writing from a prison. Uh, Paul's about to die. Paul's mindful of his death. Timothy's got all sorts of difficult things around him, and it's going to go from bad to worse. And so verse 14 is just a needed command for Timothy and for all of us as well. As you read in verse 14, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. What a wonderful word, continue. I think that if you had asked me 20 years ago, what are some exciting verbs or some exciting words, you know, you think of exciting descriptions of people, like you wouldn't necessarily just continue, wouldn't be this strong word at the top of the list, but, but we're recognizing what a wonderful thing it is to begin well and then to continue in the truth. And so here Paul is calling for such a response, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. Continuing is a mark of a genuine disciple. If you've been thinking 1 John, we're thinking those evidences of the faith. And then there's this reality that there are some who abandoned the faith. They did not continue in the faith. And in fact, by not continuing in the faith, they gave testimony to the fact that they never were in the faith. So it's not that those who don't continue lose their salvation. It's that those who don't continue never had salvation. And so Paul is imploring Timothy in light of his firm belief, in light of what he's learned, may his life be characterized by continuing in the faith. Timothy's testimony is neat to read in, in this passage. It, Paul addresses that, that um, he learned the truth and he firmly believed the truth. It would even be kind of a fun thought experiment here for, think of, this sounds to me like a church kid, right? Someone who learned the truth from a young age, and then he firmly believed the truth. It's a blessing to grow up in a Christian environment. There's so many people, even in this room today, and mine as well, to, to think back on our childhood and have a hard time even recognizing a time where we didn't believe, because we've always, you know, known the truth. We learned the truth from a young age, but with Timothy, it's so important to note that wasn't enough just to learn the truth. Timothy responded by faith to the truth. Timothy firmly believed the truth. And so that would be the same call for everyone in this room too. It is a blessing of being around the truth from an early age. But the same demand of everyone is there on, on someone who grows up in the church or someone who grows up outside of the church is to firmly believe the truth as we read about in verse 14. Well, there's even more though to take note of it says that he's to continue in what he learned and what he firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. This is plural. There are multiple teachers in Timothy's life. We know Paul as one of the teachers, but there, there was more than just Paul who ministered to Timothy. And Timothy, in motivation for continuing in the faith, he's to be mindful of who he learned this truth from. That's motivation to continue, motivation towards perseverance, motivation towards steadfastness. Think of who taught you. Think of uh, those who were your teachers. Well, who were those teachers? Other than Paul, there's a pretty neat cross-reference. Stay in 2 Timothy, but go back to chapter 1. Second Timothy 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve 
as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. The teachers that, Paul, that Timothy is to be mindful of are more than just the Apostle Paul. That's significant. He also is to think about his mother's instruction, his grandmother's instruction, as they taught him the sacred writings from a young age. So that's what, that's what is told to us in verse 15 back in chapter 3. So continue in light of what you learned and firmly believed, knowing who taught it to you. Verse 15 then says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But if you kind of map out the age of Timothy at different events, and you think of instruction that he gave him in the first letter to Timothy, uh, it's likely that when Timothy meets Paul and comes to Christ, he's in his early to mid, maybe even late at the most 20s, okay? So when he says in verse 15 that um, these sacred writings that you've known from your childhood, even the word that is translated in my Bible as childhood is a word that is even used other places in the scripture for someone in the womb, uh, someone who's an infant, at a very young age is what Paul is referring to here. So if, if Paul didn't meet Timothy till Timothy's in his 20s, we're recognizing that the sacred writings that he's heard from the earliest of memories would be coming from his teacher's uh, mom and grandmother. Sadly, not from his father who was not a believer, but his mother and his grandmother taught him the sacred writings here. So we learn a lot about parenting. There's some clarity here for us in our role as parents. And I feel like we do interact with that quite a bit, to think through the responsibilities that parents have on their children. To, there's more than just teach, but one of the things that we are certainly to do as parents, a faithful parent is going to faithfully teach their children the scriptures from a young age. But I just think it would be worth focusing in on this other reality as well, that there is a God-given responsibility and a blessing that is placed upon grandparents to teach their grandchildren the truth. And so as you walk through the scriptures, this is not an isolated event, but there's all sorts of calls to generational faithfulness. With Deuteronomy or Psalm 78, all these different cross-references that if I was better at time management, I'd read. But they, um, they point to the call to train your children. Well, even more than that, we're called to love the Lord ourselves. Deuteronomy 6, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So we love the Lord, then we obey the word, and then we teach the word to our children. That's that progress that is, is mentioned there in Deuteronomy 6. Psalm 78 speaks of, of the, the truth that we are to Teach our children and our children's children so that they will learn to set their hope in God as we teach them all of the greatness of God. It, these are just several cross-references that speak to the wonderful privilege it is of grandparenting. Now, in our church specifically, like what a blessing it is to look out and see children everywhere. I, I even... I print it out, I often do this where I'll just kind of like walk through the, the directory to see all the different kids that we have in the church and, and there's a large number of kids. And so because there's a large number of kids, there's a, there's a large number of parents of kids. So the, in our church, parents of kids that are zero through 17, there's, there's quite a few parents. Do you realize that there are more grandparents in our church though than there are of parents of children. I don't know if you can understand what I'm trying to get at here. All, all grandparents are parents, right? But not all grandparents are parents of kids zero to 17. Okay, so what I'm saying is, if you look out in our directory, we have more grandparents than we do parents of, of zero to 17-year-olds. And so that's fascinating to me. What a privilege, what an opportunity. There are grandparents everywhere. And you have this, now I recognize that we're not all in the same circumstances. Not all, not, we don't all live in the same cities with our, our kids and our grandkids, but all, all of us can be praying 
for our kids, for our grandkids. Um, All of us can be looking for ways to be like Timothy's grandmother as you read about about, um, her example. Um, Timothy's mother, Eunice, was an example of a faithful mother. Timothy's grandmother, Lois, was an example of a faithful grandmother who pointed her grandson to the scriptures, the sacred writings. Speaking of, of the Hebrew Old Testament, that's what Lois faithfully taught Timothy. And so grandparenting is a blessing. Let's, there, there's this, I feel like the world discourages age. So as we get older, we're kind of thought to be less involved in things, less current about things, less connected to things. And the scripture paints a much different picture of the wisdom that that is often associated with age and the need for older to mentor younger. And so then even in the family life, the opportunity that grandparents have to disciple their grandkids. I mean, parents are the primary discipler, but, but they're not the only discipler. And so, so our children benefit from godly grandparents. Grandparents, teach, pray, invest in your grandkids. Be generous with your grandkids, whether it's time, money. Equip them, love them, listen to them, minister to them. And so just a, it's a neat, just a little church history fact that comes out here when you're seeing that Timothy's to continue in the faith And when you're thinking, well, why? What what should I consider and motivate me towards continuing in the faith that I learned and firmly believe? And you'd be mindful. If you were to abandon the faith, you're you're rejecting what your mother taught you. You're rejecting what your grandmother taught you. I mean, that influence of the parents means a lot in the life of a kid. The ultimate reason not to abandon the faith and to continue is because it's God's word God breathed it. We read about that in verse 16. The nature of Scripture, it's truth. And so we're to believe the truth and proclaim the truth and defend the truth. Don't abandon the faith. Continue in the faith because it is the once for all delivered faith to the saints. But these other secondary motivations continue because this is what you were taught. This is what you've always known. This is what you firmly believe. This is what your mother firmly believed. This is what your grandmother firmly believed. It's your heritage. Continue. And that's what Paul is saying here in this passage. And so it ends, well, the verse 15 ends with him reminding him of what the scripture is able to do. His mother taught him, his grandmother taught him, and this scripture is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. As Timothy was taught the word, he's mindful of the character of God. He's mindful of the sinfulness of man. And he's mindful for his need for forgiveness And if he was being instructed in the Old Testament from his family, he'd be mindful of the Messiah that was to come. And then as as Timothy would be ministered to by Paul, this new covenant um, realities uh, that are fulfilled in Christ Jesus, the Savior of the world who came to die for Timothy's sin, to trust in Christ alone for his salvation, and to turn from his sinfulness and follow Christ, and that's what he does because it speaks of Timothy's firm faith, the faith in Christ that Timothy possessed, as did his mother, as did his grandmother. So, I hope this passage comes as an encouragement to all of us because we're in the same situation of, you know, we're, we're mindful of things going from bad to worse, um, circumstances are difficult. I don't mean to downplay any of that. And we're going to experience more than we're even aware that we're going to experience. But as we face persecution, this passage just reminds us of our task. We're to continue. We're to endure. We're to be faithful. I mean, an application, I think, of what we see from the names that are listed here. I hope this passage serves not as just some verse that discourages us in our overwhelming task of parenting or grandparenting, but perhaps this, this passage would just encourage you in your role. Embrace the influence that you have, parents, on your children. Embrace the influence, grandparents, that you have on your grandchildren. For those who, who are not in those categories, to embrace the influence you have in this, this reality of the older mentoring, younger dynamic that you read about in the scriptures that take place within the context of a local church. We can point 
others to the scriptures and, and teach them the scriptures and call them to believe the scriptures, to place their faith in Christ. And so there's another call though in this message as well. You cannot continue in something that you never began. And so there's this call to repent and believe. For those who have never placed their faith in Christ, the call that you hear in this, as Paul calls Timothy to continue in this faith, those who have not placed their faith in Christ, the charge is place your faith in Christ. Turn from your sin, repent of your sin, and trust in Christ alone for salvation. You know what? I didn't even tell you this, but Paul's writings are not the only place you read about Timothy. In Hebrews, uh, you might like to read it or just listen to me at the very end of Hebrews. You know, if you think what Paul commanded Timothy, how significant is it then to read the author of Hebrews write this? You should know, verse 23, that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see, that he, whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Timothy was released. I mean, what's he released from? I mean, he wasn't in like the penalty box for playing like hockey. He was released from prison. So what's he imprisoned for? He was continuing in the faith. He's ministering the gospel and imprisoned for the faith. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, Timothy's about to be released. Um, and so you're seeing him do what Paul commanded him to do. His death is not recorded in the scriptures, but if you were to read in Fox's book of martyrs, even early on, chapter two, you're talking about different times of persecution. And, and um, he describes Timothy's uh, persecution, beaten to death because of his faith. And so that's not, that's extra biblical there. We don't read about that in the scriptures and, and there's other accounts of, of, of Timothy's death. But it does appear, we certainly see Timothy continuing well in what he learned and what he firmly believed. And um, he counted the cost, he imitated Paul's faith, and he ministered to others and called them to go and do likewise. So I pray that everyone in this room would be characterized by, by learning the scripture and firmly believing the scripture, placing your faith in Christ and serving him all your days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for this command that we are all to embrace, to continue in what we know to be true. God, your word is true. Um, it proclaims who you are. It proclaims our sin. And it proclaims the only provision for our sin, which is Christ alone who, who died for our sin, to pay for our sin so that our sins could be forgiven, they could be wiped away, and we could be credited with your righteousness. So I pray everyone in this room is trusting in Christ alone for salvation. I pray everyone in this room would continue in the faith uh, to your glory and for our good. We are grateful for the opportunity we have, this privilege to gather together and worship you as we open up your word. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.